No shit, you're back. Yeah. I just hit play. But if you only understood how awkward it is to introduce yourself. When you record in clusters, especially, like, yeah. to be like, us again. Hey, guys, yeah, remember us? Yeah. I think so. I don't know. Maybe you're just starting on episode 20-whatever of season two. Which people do. True. Bounce around. So I'm Casey. <laughs> Bouncing around the room. Yep, that was Casey. This is Laura. That's Laura. Yes. So. Maybe you know who we are now. Yeah. That's. But that's us. So we've been recording all weekend and waiting for this moment. This is a long time coming, yes. but it's everything we must do in our own time. Yes. So sure. we're going to get to Casey's impactful. I'm sure you've heard her reference, Tommy, on the yes. podcast before. If you're a listener and you're not starting at episode 24. <laughs> But I wouldn't start on this episode. No. Um, <laughs> Skip. But you want to go into why you're ready to talk about it and just uh, ready to go? Yeah. Well, I think that it doesn't feel very fair mm-hmm. for me to have a podcast called Funeral Stories. Um, granted, it wasn't my idea, so it's your fault. <laughs> but to have a podcast called Funeral Stories where we've invited numerous guests on to talk about very vulnerable and deep parts of their soul. Yeah. Um, their most impactful deaths. And I haven't talked about mine. And I think the reason being was that I was trying to be respectful yeah. of the family and the people that were involved because it, it is, it's one of those stories that truth is stranger than fiction yeah one of those stories where and I, I mean I know you've heard the story before but I feel like even now like knowing you're about to hear it again it's still you're gonna be like oh, the fuck yeah because it, it is it's just it, it, it living it felt so strange and reliving it brings all those motions back from my 19 year old self mm-hmm. so and and I taught I've talked to Tommy's brother and He's he said, you know, it's fine with me. Um, and yeah, I just I feel like the more and more I thought about it, you know, I don't want to upset my friends that were there. But this is my story. too, yeah. And I can't change the decisions they made, and the choices they made. And it, they've had to live with it and they've paid their you know, they've they've served their time. And yeah. Um. So now I just feel like I'm and I've told them all that I'm going to talk about this and they understand i'm not the only person that's talked about it you can literally google it yeah um but yeah i I don't know i just feel like now i'm ready to talk about it we'd actually recorded an episode where i had gone into it and i was like hysterical the whole time so i just feel like i'm just in a different space now Mm -hmm. that's not to say i'm not going to get emotional and cry but (laughs) i'm going to do my best to not make it just like a boohoo fest we have tissues right Um, and these lashes are not going to be on at the end of this (laughs) episode but uh why don't you treat me like a guest like a guest yeah like ask me 
ask me a question. Ask you a question? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Lead me into it. So how did you and Tommy meet? Okay, good job. (laughs) It's a great way to start. Because it it is so overwhelming. I'm like, I don't know where to start. Yes. So um, I met Tommy. I graduated high school in 2005. And you've probably heard us talk about Noah. Yeah. On this podcast. Noah and me and Laura are really good friends. And Noah and I had decided not, we didn't decide together, but we did find comfort. And we went to the same school together. It's called Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia. And we went to school. um, It's kind of confusing, but I lived in the dorm called Napier Hall and he lived in Foundation Hall. And his roommate was this guy, Zach. And Zach had come to GCNSU with his best friend, Tommy. Tommy lived in Napier. So me and Noah were best friends. Zach and Tommy were best friends. And then there were two best friends that lived on the same hall as me, Jenny and Carrie. And so the six of us just kind of, because I had met Carrie and Jenny on MySpace before. Yeah. We had, you know, start, sparked up a friendship. We were very similar in the music we liked and just yeah, our whole getting aesthetic. getting to know your, how, yeah, your roommate uh, is going to be. Basically, yeah, yeah, like how your life is going to be like, in college. Oh God, I'm so glad you don't suck. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So we lived on the same hall. You know, it back it, it felt like real world. Like mm-hmm. we we're moving into this house with a bunch of strangers type yeah. thing. And so I remember Noah and I were texting, he's like, Yeah, come to my room, whatever. And we walk in and, you know, we meet Zach and Tommy's in there. And Tommy's like, Oh, I live in Napier. And it was almost like instant that we just like bonded. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because like Noah was definitely a part of the group, but Noah was you know, started to he like rushed frat and all that stuff. So he just was different and then it was like me carrie tommy and zach and jenny had the other girl she left school after the first semester and second semester we like new friends came in their place alan who was my next door neighbor yeah um but he alan to this day is still one of my best friends i love him very much i love him dearly and tyler also Living, I mean, it's just, we'll get to all that. But we met in college and it was almost instant. I think we knew each other like two days and we were already like calling each other best friends. We were the boo crew. It was, we were just going to be boys. We were, and I always remember thinking like, my friends in high school are the best friends I'm ever going to have. Yeah. Then you go to college, meet all these people. Of course, Noah <laughs> stayed. Yeah, of course, Noah stayed. He yeah. knew. But, I, but mean, I mean, he was your, he was there. Through. He's my constant. Yeah. Yeah, he's, Noah's one of my constants. Yeah. Um, not a thing people say about Noah. <laughs> 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 maybe his wife would say that, but yeah. I think maybe me and his wife. The only ones that would say that. And his children. But, um, yeah, so Tommy and I immediately bonded. And I, it's hard to explain, but even, like, even my mom knew, my sisters knew, like, in a weird way, like I was taken care of. I was in kind of an abusive relationship. Tommy was not putting up with it. You knew me all of like five seconds and it felt like I known him all whole life. I knew him in another life or something. Yeah. And he, he was, he would not put up. In fact, uh, that boyfriend had come up to see me, um, when I was in college and I never actually got to see him because Tommy met him first. Mm. So, yeah, he was gone. I remember being so mad at Tommy. Like, why would you do that? Oh, my God. 
And he didn't fight. He didn't care. He wasn't going to listen to what I was thinking. He knew what was better for me. Yeah. And he was right. I mean, he was really right. And yeah. I'm glad he did that. So, yeah, we started school and, you know, all the things that go along with school. And, and when you're in it, you just think it's normal. But I and I'd always been around people that, you know, smoke pot or, you know, did shrooms or things yeah. like that. And I didn't really think anything of it. It was just light drugs. Yeah. I mean, you don't really think anything like of diet it. drugs. Like what? Like diet drugs. Yeah, exactly. Not, not See, like the heavy. Exactly. Yeah. But also like I'd always kind of romanticized heavy drugs, like this idea of yeah. like rock stars do drugs and it's yeah. so cool. And I'm 19 or no, I'm not even 19. I'm 18. You don't even know what to romanticize when you're 19. No. And you've yeah. been, and you're coming from small town, well, and, Georgia. And I graduated high school at 17. Yeah. So I started college two like not even two months a month and a half after I turned 18 so I was like grown-up world living on my own and you know I was I smoked pot in high school but nothing like I did in college it was like we were smoking pot all the time we were drinking like crazy I was always a really smart girl and then next thing you know I'm like struggling to to keep up and even just wake up to go to class because I had I had a schedule to follow and I didn't have my mom being like get out of bed bitch time to go to school um it was very different and next thing you know we start doing like um cocaine and so then we're taking eight you know eight balls of fish scales and doing cocaine for 24 hours straight and writing papers and driving around like morons and to me I just feel like I just thought like this is just being young like I'm just living life this is okay and then uh cocaine was oh and at this time I think I don't think I mentioned this when we recorded the first time I feel like this is important to mention my dad had come back in my life yeah so he was living in Madison Georgia which was about an hour 45 minutes away Mm -hmm. and he was starting to be more and more frequent in my life and like the leech that he was like needing me to come stay with him and take care of him and sleep in his bed weird Mm -hmm. shit and um I just I wasn't in a good headspace and I remember he like paid me to clean his house and he was like um any any like dollar bills you find on the floor you can keep like one dollar bills and I was like okay cool thanks and so he like left to do god knows what and I cleaned his house like scrubbing vomit and like picking up syringes and I got so pissed and I was cleaning up and like literally picking up like hundred dollar bills off the floor and twenty dollar bills and dollar bills and I just pocketed all this money I was like fuck this I'm out I didn't even finish cleaning I was like fuck this I'm out went back to Milledgeville and bought shrooms for literally everyone <laughs> I knew if you kept digging you probably would have found some in the I house know. <laughs> there you go like I some pills something to get us fucked up so we didn't yeah. have to think about real shit <laughs> so that the day that I had bought all these shrooms um we uh it was a lot of shrooms. We took a full eighth each. We uh, and that's a lot. I don't know. I don't know how much drug knowledge people know, but an eighth of psilocybin. It was yeah. pure psilocybin injected into dark chocolates. So we literally just ate a piece of chocolate, and we had like prepared because it's the first time I tripped. We had prepared. We're like we're going on a trip. We like did our hair and makeup. We cleaned our room, <laughs> and like the boys, like Tommy and Zach and Alan, are just looking at us like, "Can we please just take the shit already? <laughs> like hurry the fuck up." My point being, my point being that we started getting into 
not that shrooms are like heavy drugs, but you know, the it's next thing I know, I'm doing ecstasy, and I'm like, yeah, things that I hadn't done before, and failing college, <laughs> yeah, and I well, not failing, but. I lost my scholarship and just shit like that. And for me, it was just like, well, this is what people do in college. And I think it is what people do. But there's there's also like a limit. Yeah. And with everything, there are boundaries. And we were very much living as if we were invincible. And I mean, I could I could talk for hours just about like how in sync we were as friends and how we loved each other so much and just just the the connection and and how beautiful it was and it just when I talk about it it just reminds me that nothing gold can stay yeah you know like it's it's we're not invincible so that uh uh you know spring semester finished and we all go home for the summer and we had made you know, we'd see we. It was what school ends in like for college at like early May, mm-hmm. and so we go home. I had already seen him once or twice. Um, my birthday came up, and I was supposed to see him on my birthday, uh, and then I had to go home. Um, we lived like four hours apart when we weren't at school obviously our hometowns are like four hours apart so it was like a big headache to get up there but we like talked every day almost like he would call me so much that it was to the point where I would like see him calling and just be like no (laughs) not answering yeah I'm not gonna talk to you about your girl problems yeah don't care like yeah don't care and um yet my sister who was living in New York City at the time had met him had come down to school met him loved him stayed in his room like we I mean he was like already part of my family and uh we were home for the summer and it was a couple of days after my birthday and it was one of those days and I think anyone that's ever lost someone and thinks back on that day can remember things I don't I don't know if hindsight fucks with you in a way but like when you think back to that day you just for me, I remember feeling like this feels weird. This energy is weird. The weather yeah. feels weird. Like I'm someone that I'm not going to say no to like going and hanging out with people. Mm-mm. But for some reason that day, my friend Jet had called me and wanted me really badly to come to a show with him in Brunswick. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to leave my mom. I was like, I just want to hang out with my mom tonight. So I'd went and gotten rented a movie fun with Dick and Jane. <laughs> <laughs> ran in a movie and I just like went upstairs to my room and I put the DVD on and I was watching it and the phone rang and it was like 11 o'clock at night and it was a landline which is weird like if my cell phone rang it'd be nothing I'd just be like okay cool whatever I'll answer it um, but it was 11 o'clock at night and it was the landline and it rang and it rang and it rang and so I went downstairs because there wasn't a phone upstairs and I went downstairs and I answered it and I said hello and it was my best friend at the time, Carrie's mom. And she said, Casey, is your mom there? And I said, yeah, why? And she said, is your mom there? I need to talk to her. And I said, yes, yeah, she is. But why do you need to talk to her? And she said, Casey, I need to talk to your mom. And I said, no. And it was like, I just, I didn't know what. But I think just like everything with the energy of that day and just. You just had a, an instinct. I just knew something was wrong. I could just, just hear it in her senses. voice. Yeah. yeah, I could just hear it in her voice. And I said, 
what happened? Tell me what the fuck happened. And I would have never talked to Colleen that way at that time. You know, no. I said, tell me what the fuck happened. And she said, Tommy's been shot. And her husband's name was Tom. Oh, no, no. She said, Tommy's dead. Mm. Okay. So, and her husband's name is Tom. So I was like, immediately like oh my god carrie oh my god this is awful like heart attack stroke like what the fuck happened and i said well what happened are you okay and she said he was shot and i said what because that didn't make sense yeah and i said what what happened she said tommy was shot and that's when i realized tommy tommy my tommy Mm -hmm. my tommy was shot and i looked and my cell phone i had had probably 12 missed calls from his brother oh god his little brother who had called me trying to tell me trying to tell me what was going on and that's why colleen called the landline because no one had a fucking landline she had the number of course the mom had the number so (laughs) so i just there was this just guttural scream from me and my mom immediately i the next thing i remember is just my mom's like holding me what what's wrong what's wrong wrong what's wrong and she gets on the phone with colleen and colleen tells her and i'm just literally in a puddle on the floor and eddie's like what they're both just like what the fuck is happening i next thing i remember is my mom picking me up off the floor and walking me to the downstairs bedroom because she knows there's no way i'm making it up the stairs and laying me down and i'm just lay. it's crazy because like talking about it like i'm remembering those feelings of just Mm -hmm. like immense sadness and disbelief and shock and dead he's dead what like we have plans no he can't be dead we have things to do like yeah he promised me we were gonna do these things like all these we had so much to do together and i remember just laying there and then uh midnight rolls around 1 a.m rolls around my sister in new york gets the word phone rings my mom comes in with the phone it's my sister she's hysterical she's upset and it could have been the next morning i don't even know but she's hysterical and she's upset and she's worried about me um she's trying to figure out how to get on a flight home um and the next morning i somehow fell asleep Somehow I fell asleep. I don't know how. But the next morning, I remember waking up. And I remember it was one of those sleeps that you wake up from where you know you didn't really sleep. Mm-hmm. But you're just like... and you and it, But I still remember waking up being like, oh, thank God it was a dream. Hmm. You yeah. know, like, oh, my God. And my mom was like standing over me. <laughs> and she was like, I booked you a plane ticket. I mean, it's a four-hour drive. She's like, I booked you a plane ticket. I don't want you driving. Like she knew, yeah, no, and I mean I'm, I had just turned nineteen, yeah, a couple days after my nineteenth birthday, and she fucking had a bottle of rosé. <laughs> She's like, "This is all the booze I have in the house. Please drink it. Like you need something." <laughs> and they drove me to Savannah, put me on a plane, and I think that had to be the hardest thing for my mom. Like, yeah, knowing like I can't be I'm sending with her. you into this. 
alone yeah but also like i feel like this is a thing you have to do alone yeah and i feel like this is a thing most importantly that you have to do and i think you're just acting on sheer like faith alone yeah kind of like lightning can't strike twice in the same place like yeah you know like terrifying yeah you have to go and so she sent me on that plane and i uh went to atlanta and zach his best friend had been in massachusetts or he was in boston or something for his little sister was in a who picked you up from the airport uh well it was it was zach's um it was zach's grandfather because me and zach got in around around the same time so it was me carrie and jenny were waiting for us at the airport like their parents dropped them off at hartsville jackson and then zach had gotten in like in 30 minutes after me Mm -hmm. and so Zach's grandfather picked us up at the airport and drove us back to his house because Zach's parents were still in Boston because his little sister was like in a production of Annie up there or something like that and so the whole family was up there and so he had come back and we were staying with the grandparents and um, you know that night we go back to Zach's grandfather's house and the boys have to be downstairs and the girls are upstairs and of course we sneak out and we go do our like thing and we're just it's like a group of like 15 of us like friends from high school of Tommy's and like friends from college and we're just like all like sitting there together grieving and we get drunk and high and you know all the things that kids do when they're grieving and then the next day I remember we were going to Tommy's house and I had I mean I'd met Tommy's parents numerous times at this point and um we had always gotten along i mean i'd spent the night at his house with him like it was it was just like the most platonic friendship you could have yeah and they loved me and i loved them deeply mm-hmm. um they were really fucking cool like they had toured with like black sabbath and <laughs> you know all these cool bands that they were awesome so they're they know we're coming and they're waiting for us to get there and for some reason we're running late and i remember my phone, my cell phone rang and I had one of those like Samsung flip phones, but it was still, it was like advanced enough to where like the screen would have a picture pop up in a ringtone mm-hmm. play. Yeah. And Tommy's ringtone was cute without the cut from the team by taking back Sunday and his picture popped up and it was Tommy calling me and I was like, and I literally went into full hysterics in the fucking like church van we're riding in because it's fucking... <laughs> grandfather of course at a church yes. van. but I went to like full hysterics and I was like so upset so upset so upset because what the fuck and I didn't link that it was his parents calling me it was a landline yeah. you know yeah. and it was just connected to you're not number. firing on all cylinders no. No. no so then I I they leave a voicemail and I call him back and I'm like I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry and we get there and I'm speeding through it uh but I guess I should talk about what happened and what why that is so weird so the reason it felt like a fucking tenfold trauma is because we got july 7th was when he was shot and we found out early hours of july 8th that he had been a victim of a robbery a mugging and that someone came up when he was with alan and tyler and alan's little brother andrew in a car um, both of those, all three of them were friends of mine. Um, and that a guy just went to go rob him, pulled a gun out and shot him. 
And that's what we all believed. So this was, yeah, yeah, this was the story that y'all all y'all know as you're heading to the funeral, and yeah. So yeah, so we get to the house, and all I can think about at this point is Tommy's poor, poor parents, his poor family, and also Alan and Tyler and Andrew just saw our best mm-hmm. friend get shot and bleed out and die. That is some traumatic shit. And it was a random act of violence. And oh my God, I hope they're okay. Yeah. And I just remember seeing, I just, oh God, I remember seeing them and just like hugging them and just feeling so sad for them. And um, a couple of hours later, we're all hanging out at Tommy's house. Like they just wanted all the kids there. That's all they wanted. They just wanted all the kids. They wanted a full house. Yeah. And they had it. They had this beautiful house on the lake in Jackson, Georgia. And it was it was all, I mean, there were, when that night when we went to bed, I remember having to climb over bodies on the floor to like get to Tommy's room. Like it yeah. was, there were people everywhere. And, um, but I remember standing on the back deck with Tyler and I said, are you okay? And he just looked at me and he is someone that, you can read him. You mm-hmm. can read what he's feeling. He's very like he writes it all over his face, all over his face. Yeah. And we were not super close at this point. Me and Tyler, me and Alan were, mm-hmm. um, but me and Tyler were not. And I just said, "Are you okay?" And like I put my hand on his hand, and he he just like looked at me, and I could just see his like brow, like he just like furrowed his brow, and he was just like, "No," and I just knew. He wasn't okay, and none of y'all were okay, but this was different from the way that y'all weren't okay. Yeah, this was like, there's something yeah. you're yeah. not telling us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to push you, but it makes me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Makes me very uncomfortable. But I, And I didn't understand it then, but I kept saying, like, what's, what's going on? What happened? What happened? And I remember news trucks came to the house and were interviewing us and I remember being on Atlanta news begging people if you know anything yeah. please please we just want to know who did this we want to get this guy this bad guy we want to get him we want to get him off the streets this that mm-hmm. and the other um Kathy and Steve Tommy's parents had asked Alan and Tyler and Andrew to be pallbearers and they were and we had a beautiful um memorial I guess after the funeral service um outside we all like Jet came up and we were playing guitar and singing and I mean it was it was beautiful it was really beautiful special this, this might be a weird question but was it open casket it was because he I mean he wasn't shot in the shot in the chest it okay. pierces heart lung and liver okay and yeah. the seat of the car do um, you feel like that gave you a little I mean, well, I rem- <laughs> I remember um, we were late to the viewing mm-hmm. and when we got there, Steve, his dad was standing there and I was like, I'm so sorry we're late. Oh, cause he was like, the boo crew is here. And I was like, I'm so sorry we're late. And he was like, well, he wasn't going anywhere until he got to say goodbye. Yeah. And I just remember being like, <sighs> oh my God. And I had written a letter and I put it in the casket with him. And yeah, I mean, I was one of those people that, you kind of needed to see it for yourself or 
I feel like people are, I'm always curious because people yeah. can go both ways. They're either like, nope, nope, nope. Don't want to see it. I can't see it. And then I, I waited. People. I stalled a lot yeah. to go in. Yeah. And it can be both. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Like I, I didn't want to go in without Carrie and I didn't want to go in without Alan and Zach and, but yeah, I stalled. I stalled for a while. And then when I did go in, I, I remember, I still remember exactly what he looked like. And I remember touching his hand and his face and just being like, my Tommy gun and but I remember being like he's so cold mm-hmm. and that is like jarring yeah because yeah it's there. there's nothing there there isn't I mean the, it, literally like there's no blood in his body no and I mean of course I didn't know that at that time I was just like you know I don't know I mean I, I think I'm I do oh god you know and that's the thing it's like i know everyone's warm when they're alive but like tommy was like the warmest person like all yeah. around like just like he gave the best hugs mm-hmm. and i was i i wanted to like hug him and you can't he's dead you know oh god and i thought i wasn't gonna cry <laughs> i thought maybe not this much but <laughs> yeah i remember just putting the letter in there and I don't know why I did it but it it yeah I don't know I I was a fucking wreck like I said after the funeral we all um went back to the house and we were just so worried about Kathy and Steve because they lost their boy yeah um and he so yeah okay so what happened (laughs) what had really happened we found out july 14th um when they went to the bowling alley where they said they were mugged and didn't find any gunshot residue or any casings and then the apartment complex behind that where they found the casings that um it was a drug deal gone bad and um they were arguing over a difference of $15 for weed. And I remember, I'm so angry at them still because I remember they were like, yeah, we're going to Atlanta to pick up some dank weed and we're going to sell it and make a, you know, make so much money. I remember me and Carrie were just like, that sounds stupid. Yeah. Like, it sounds really stupid, but like, like we're not making great life choices right now, but that sounds like a, like a different level of yeah. bad bad well, life choice. And I don't even think we felt that strongly because to us, we always knew like they don't deal with people they don't know. Yeah. They don't deal with people they don't know. What they'll do is they'll go buy this weed and they'll deal it to a bunch of college kids. Yeah. That's what we thought. And they were so excited about it. They literally went, had some random guy organize a drug deal and it just so happened to be a fucking crazy murderer yeah <laughs> who would kill a their, kid over 15 dollars was their first yeah and yeah. it was it was like a bag of pot that was worth like 400 dollars, and they're like no you said it was 385 and he's like no it's 400 dollars. take it or leave it and the fucker pulled out a gun and said i'll just take it and shot him and that was it and tommy's last words are you've got to be fucking kidding me and tyler said he just remembered because Tommy was in the passenger seat. Alan was driving. Andrew was behind Alan. Andrew is Alan's little brother. 
and Tyler was behind Tommy, and and they were all stoned. <sighs> they were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit a conspiracy to commit a drug deal, misleading law enforcement officers, and one other thing I don't remember, but <sighs> that was really hard. And I remember talking to Alan afterwards. And just being like, what the fuck? And being so mad. And he was just like, I'm sorry, Casey. I'm sorry. And I just, I I couldn't be mad at him. Because I wasn't there. Yeah. I don't know what they went through. I don't know what they saw. I'm Thankfully, I don't know what they saw. Um, and I don't know what they, how they panicked. Yeah. And they were kids. They were so young. Yeah. And so... We buried Tommy. I'm dealing with all that grief. And then about a year goes by. Me and Carrie, we move in together in Milledgeville and we go back to school. And so the crew that was Zach, Tommy, Jenny, Carrie, Noah, Casey, Alan, and Tyler is now Casey and Carrie. And so we're just like, what the fuck do we do? So we have a year of like mourning our friend's death. And that was the, that year they like, Alan traveled to China. He did missionary work in India and China and all this shit. And just trying to like right his wrong, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so a year later, we decided like Milledgeville's too sad for us. So we moved to Athens and we started school at UGA. And uh, right around the time we started school at UGA was right around the time their trial started. Mm. So we had the whole grieving of Tommy. And then like it's all brought up again. And then it's all brought like every detail. Yeah. Autopsy photos, you know, just this whole thing. And then we start thinking like they were facing like 15 years in prison type thing. Um. Ryan Darville, it was a whole thing. Like, I'm not even going to get into the NAACP and all that. Like, I know that's what they do. That's, I'm, me of all people, like, I really, yeah. I really try to, like, like, I get it. I get it. He did have an all-white jury. Like, yeah, that that is not okay. Like, we need that. If this hadn't been such a cut and dry case of an idiot with a gun, yeah, then it wouldn't, like... I would not care that the NAACP got involved. I just feel yeah. like your efforts are better off used somewhere else. And yeah. so it turned into this whole like media circus. And then um, anyway, he was found guilty of first degree murder, sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole for 30 years. I don't know if I said it. Have I said his name? Darville? Ryan Darville, yeah. Yeah. So sentenced to life without parole for 35 years. And then he appealed it in 2011 and the Supreme Court of Georgia because it went to the Supreme Court they um, denied his appeal and he lost his chance for parole so he's in jail for the rest of his life Um, and he had a son and it's really fucking sad but um, and there were two other people involved a woman who was the getaway driver and she had like three kids and she served like three months in jail and the other guy Thomas Spivey um, I don't know how much time he served, but it was like not enough at all. Um, 
and Alan, oh, that trial was awful. It was so awful. Actually, I'm going to read, um, this is like one of my best friends that yeah. is mourning and he's a good guy. And this is a news article from October 16th. Uh, 2007 six sentenced in fatal drug deal whitfield county superior court judge jack partain on tuesday named alan norris as the kingpin in a drug deal that ended with the july 7 2006 shooting of a 19 year old college student from jackson and sentenced norris to two years in prison for making false statements and 10 years probation on a drug charge Five other participants in the drug deal at the donville meadow apartments were sentenced to probation on tuesday with one also sentenced to boot camp boot camp and three to time in jail the shooter ryan darvo was found guilty of murder by a jury in august and sentenced to life in prison and this is what the judge told alan you were the one who was at the bottom of it all partain told norris tommy canavan would be alive today if it were not for your actions i mean i remember reading this and like it was gut-wrenching Partain accused Norris of leading a double life, serving at church by day and dealing drugs at night. You can recover from what happens here today, Partain said. This is not the end of the world for you, but unfortunately it was the end of the world for Tommy Canavan. Investigators said Alan Norris, his brother Andrew and Tyler Brackett, were with Canavan the night he was shot. The Norrises and Brackett uh, Norris's and Brackett pleaded guilty in superior court to making false statements. The Norris's also pleaded guilty to conspiracy to affect the sale and distribution of marijuana. Partain dr- talked directly to the Norris's and Brackett about their false report that two black men attempted to rob them at gunpoint in the Galaxy bar- Bowling parking lot and shot Canavan in the chest. They didn't tell the truth about their involvement in the drug deal for several days. They went to stay with the Canavan family in Jackson after the shooting. They reached out to you in their darkest hour, Partain said, adding that while the Canavans are pleading with the public for information about their son's death, the Norris's and Brackett sat silently with knowledge of the killer's identity. You three were no friends to Tommy Canavan, Partain said. The way you treated his family, in my opinion, was despicable. Their lies led officers running down rabbit holes as they followed false leads, wasting resources and taxpayer dollars, he said. (sighs) Partain held up an inch or two of papers from the bench, he said, or letters for or against the Norris brothers in bracket. Some may liken it to a campaign of letter writing, he said. Partain said he received only one letter for anyone else in the case, and that letter arrived five minutes before court was called to order and wasn't considered. After warning friends, family members, and others in the galley against outbursts or displays of any kind, Partain read the sentences. He sentenced Alan Norris to two years in prison for making false statements and ten years probation for the drug charge to be served concurrently. He also sentenced Norris to pay restitution to the sheriff's office and the Canavan family to get drug and alcohol counseling at his own expense, to submit to random drug testing, to perform 100 hours of community service, blah, 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 blah. Andrew went to military school. Um, After the sentencing, the brother's parents were led crying from the courtroom by deputies. 
their attorney, Steve Williams, who also represented Brackett, declined to comment. Brackett was sentenced to five years probation with 60 days to serve, a $500 fine, 50 hours community service, blah, 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 blah. Um, granted, first offender status, then it goes on and on and on. But those comments, it's that that judge, like, I, first of all, like, it could have been anybody in that car that got shot, and it would have been anybody that, yeah, they would have all was, acted the same way. It yeah. just happened to be, yeah. yeah if it, it had been Alan that got shot, then Tommy would have gone to Alan's parents' house. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's like I understand. I understand it. It's so. It's just so complicated. Yeah. And but what the judge said might have might be the thing that helped. I mean, you never know. It's it's just so complicated. Helped what? I mean, that might have kept Alan from like going in a bad direction. I mean, you you know, just never know. I it's think just what helped so, Alan from going in a bad direction was seeing his best friend get shot like i think that was his wake-up call like i think yeah because because he did spend a year now that judge sorry yeah that was uncalled for and unnecessary and that judge spent a or not the judge alan spent literally a year away from his friends and family Mm -hmm. trying to right his wrong and it wasn't oh that's right you said he double had tra- that's right you yeah. said he had traveled and that's yeah. right and he was doing like missionary work yeah and the thing is this is a brilliant kid yeah tyler too and andrew i mean they're all brilliant kids and so he he and he felt great remorse and i know this because of course i talked to him and we were there with each other and you said we, he instantly was just yeah they all were i mean alan tyler basically told me in his eyes on the back deck at his at tommy's parents house Alan told me when he was going to basically turn himself in to be arrested. I mean, the fact like, that this happened just shows that they weren't criminals. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, they didn't know what they were doing. Stupid they were, college kids. They were kids making very dumb decisions. Exactly. And, I mean, it's... I mean, it, it, I, I have left so much out. So, so much out. Yeah. But there was one um, journal entry on Live Journal <laughs> that I made on July 22nd. And in hindsight, it, it is very profound because it's, I feel like it's grief. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's 425 in the morning and I just got off the phone with Zach and John, Tommy's little brother. And I felt like I desperately needed to update. I said, As I was on the phone, I realized something. I'm so frustrated with everything. I'm every emotion under the sun. I am uncomfortable. I am angry. I am jealous. I am sad. I am bitter. I'm stressed. I'm lonely. I'm completely and utterly grief stricken. I'm incredibly depressed. I miss Tommy and there's nothing anyone can do about that. I'm uncomfortable because everyone has told me you have to move on with your life. That's what Tommy would want. I know what Tommy would want, and believe me, I'm trying to get over it. I'm trying to wake up in the morning yet again and not think to myself, I can't believe Tommy isn't here. I am trying. Honestly, I am. It isn't fair, and as long as I... (laughs) Wow. And as long as I'm alive, it will not make sense to me. Because of how desperately I'm trying, and because people keep telling me it's time to move on, I am uncomfortable with my situation of not being okay with it. 
I'm angry because I'm not able to forget about it. I can't make peace with it or put one of my best friends to rest because every time I think I'm okay with it, another news story is printed. A news story where one of the murder suspects tries to get out on bond, one where the main murder suspect is dying what happened. On top of that, I worry myself sick about my three friends. They have charges pressed on them. They've already suffered enough. I was angry at them when I first heard the truth, but honestly, they were scared. They were slapped in the face with the death of their best friend and didn't know how to react. Yeah. They've already punished themselves. We've all suffered the worst punishment. We all lost a best friend. I'm jealous because of the peace everyone has seemed to make with it. I feel pathetic because I haven't made peace yet. I've asked God to help me with it, and it just doesn't seem like I'm ready to hand it over to him. I'm happy for my friends that think good things have come from his death, but I'm so fucking jealous that I haven't found what good has come out of it for me. Maybe nothing. Maybe that's why I'm so upset about it. Maybe that's why it is so much more difficult for me to move on. I'm jealous mostly because I haven't been able to make peace with it, and I have tried. I'm sad because there will be no more memories in this lifetime. No more late night talks. No more late night walks. No more of me crying on his shoulder. No more late night runs to Taco Bell. No more Boo Crew. No more of him chasing me around drunk. No more of me waiting on him to finish playing Halo so Carrie and I can go out. No more phone calls or texts just to say I love you. No more walking over to his room just because I miss him. No more. A while back, he, while back, he left me a comment on MySpace that said, I'm going crazy without you. All I can think now is if you only knew Tommy, I'm losing my mind without you. I'm bitter because I despise the hate in my heart more than anything. I've tried to forgive the guy that did it, but that seems to be years away from me for right now. And it still is. <laughs> Hatred has filled my heart, and that is the worst feeling in the world, the absolute worst. It is so hard to forgive, even though it may be what I need to do more than anything. Stressed because this next year will be different. Tommy's death has forced me to put my life into perspective. My entire future has been questioned. I'm not inevitable. Wait, no, death is inevitable. I am not invincible. I'm lonely because everyone has each other and I'm stuck here alone. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. And it's just like every emotion under the sun. Yeah. I'm happy for the memories I have. I'm sad because there won't be any more. Yeah. Like just this fucking back and forth of exhaustion. So, yeah. Um, so where were Tommy's parents? Like where did they sit? How were they feeling about, do you know how they were feeling about the friends that were in the car? and? Were- they were angry when the when the truth came out. Yeah. Um they uh yeah, they were really angry and I understand that. And for a long time we didn't want them to know that we were still talking to them. Mhm. So like we would go see them and visit with them. Um but we didn't want them to know, but they knew and as time went on, they were they're just like the best people. They were, um, you know, it was Kathy's son. It was her baby boy. And she was angry, very angry. And, and they luckily had the chance to speak and make up. And it was one of those, like, random instances where after Tommy, and I, oh, God, this oh, not Tommy, but after Alan got out of jail, they ran into he was working at a Starbucks 
and they were going on a road trip and they stopped at this Starbucks and Alan was the one taking their order. And wow. Yeah. And he looked at his boss. As soon as he walked up, he looked at his boss and said, I need, I need a minute. Like I need to go on break. And he sat down with him and he talked to him for hours. It felt like he said, but they talked for a very long time and obviously they didn't have to pay for their drinks. <laughs> and, and, and she said she was sorry. And he said, I'm so sorry. And it's a beautiful moment that I'm so glad they, so glad they got to have because, um, who would is ever going to make that first move? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and yeah. Kathy, um, passed away in 2014 or nope, nope. She passed away in 2015. I saw her when I was pregnant with Layla. Sarah and I was pregnant with Layla when we went on our like baby moon <laughs> before she was born right around Christmas time and she was in remission from pancreatic cancer and thought we thought she'd beat it you know which is yeah and then it fucking came back and Layla was a little over a year old and we had to go to her funeral that was the first time I'd been back to Tommy's grave in a really long time. I mean, since like the Christmas after he died. And I just remember seeing that headstone. Oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> but I remember seeing his headstone with his picture and the letter he wrote to his parents on it. And then seeing like his mom's going in the ground and like his poor dad and his brothers. Like. <laughs> poor John like he was like my baby like I loved him since Tommy's little brother and and I I don't know how you're ever the same and he was so close the last time I saw Kathy like he was living with her and I saw John we had gone to like Denny's and we had breakfast and I was pregnant and it was just like you just tell me about how it's gonna be the best thing that ever happened to me and all I could think is like you know you saw me get married you saw me, you're going to see me have a baby. And you don't ever get that for Tommy. Yeah. Oh my God, I have like a fucking like lump in my throat. I didn't think I was going to get this upset. <sighs> it really sucked when she died. Yeah. It sucks when anyone dies. But like, it was just like, you know, and all they kept talking about was like, they're finally together. Tommy and Kathy are finally together again. Mother and son are finally reunited. And it just felt like they want like at her funeral, they want they didn't want anyone to wear black. They wanted people to wear the most brightly colored dress they had. And so I well, wore they asked the right person. Yeah, I mean you know what dress I wore, I'm sure. You know my like tube top dress with the neon green and like the fucking coral and neon it's all these weird geometric straight shapes and it's cut up the sides and it's <laughs> fucking maxi dress but it's still a little slutty <laughs> i wore that and everyone was like oh my god that's the best dress because it looked like sea glass and she collected sea glass and one of her best friends that i remember meeting at tommy's funeral came up to me fucking 10 years later yeah and she was like Casey and I was like oh my god and she put her arms around me and she's like I'm so glad you're here and she said um 
I'll never forget this. She said, you have no idea how much you helped Kathy after Tommy oh, died. God. And I was like, what? Like, I thought I was like a problem for them because I was just like hanging around. And they were like, no, you always made, th- made them laugh. And I remember them saying that at the funeral. Mm-hmm. I like ma- wrote like a journal entry about it. But like, I remember them saying that like, you're bringing them light but that's all I could do was like come and like make jokes and I remember she was like showing me baby pictures of Tommy and he had like spit up and I said uh she was like oh yeah you would always spit up and I have to clean it up and I was like yeah I've done that a time or two like <laughs> being drunk and puking you know just like stupid things yeah like, crack a joke whenever there's an opportunity yeah just try to make them laugh try to make them forget it for a second and um yeah, so her saying that, I was like, really? And I remember a couple of weeks after Tommy died, again, it was a four-hour drive. I drove up to go stay with them, and I stayed with them for like a week. And I remember Kathy just saying, like, it's so nice to not have such an empty house. Yeah. And I was like, all oh, that breaks <laughs> my heart, but I'm glad I can help. And so, yeah, I mean, I know I'm leaving a lot out, but... When Kathy died, that sucked. Yeah. Really badly. I mean, that had to bring the grief all back. And yeah, yeah, it was, well, it was just, it just broke my heart for Steve because they stayed together through this. Yeah. You know, and she, and he loved her. Mm -hmm. They loved each other very, very much. And they had lost a child and, and the city they're from, they were big in like the Christian community and the church and they had gone to Christian school and when their son dies in a drug deal gone bad, they turned on him. Mm-hmm. They turned on him bad. So when I was, was Googling this, like just to find some stuff, I came across my death space and it was weird to see my name on this. On Tommy's. Tommy Canavan 19 was mugged and shot to death. So obviously they don't have the updated story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But it says filed under shot. Cool. Several students at GCSU are doing whatever they can to keep the memory alive of their friend who passed away last year. Tommy Canavan, 19, a chemistry major at GCSU, was killed July 8th in Dalton. Evan Luke, a 20-year-old management major at GCSU, was killed October 31st, 2005. So that was, Milledgeville's a weird city. It's where Central State Hospital is. Yeah. 20,000 unmarked graves of... Mm-hmm patients that were mentally ill yeah some were and some were just like postpartum depression yeah that got sent away so it yeah weird so anyway it says that and then it says casey carter that's me a sophomore at gcsu and and a close friend of canavan has experienced ongoing support from the milledgeville area this was all a lie the support from people at georgia college has been amazing carter says Friends of Canavan and Luke have found different ways to help them deal with the pain of losing a dear friend. Casey Carter has taken advantage of the counseling center services provided by the GCSU campus. Carter meets regularly with a support group to talk about what has happened. The counseling services have been a huge help. The support group has been a beneficial part of the healing process, says Carter. As a group, we are so much closer now. Facebook is another outlet for many who are still mourning the loss of their friends. Luke's and Canavan's Facebook walls have been covered with comments from friends and classmates since their death. Carrie Dagenhard, a mass communication major at GCSU and a friend of Canavan, sees Facebook as just another way to help in the healing process. 
Death is difficult to deal with, but Facebook helps because I'm able to write to Tommy and update him on what's going on in our lives. And that makes me feel better, says Dagan Hard. And it goes on and on to talk about that. Um, Carter and other friends of Canavan are in the process of putting together a concert in memory of their friend. T-shirts are also being made that will help keep Canavan's memory alive. <laughs> we want to do something personal because anyone who knew Tommy knows how awesome he was. We never did it. <laughs> no, we never did it. <laughs> like, what is this article? Another thing we started and never finished. If you'd like to donate money to the scholarship fund that is in memory of Thomas, Tommy, Dexter, Canavan, contact the Macintosh State Bank in Jackson. Wow, we did. We also had a plan of writing a screenplay. Uh, <laughs> we never finished. Um, sorry, Tommy. On high hopes, living on. <laughs> no, you know what I did? Started a podcast. There you go. I did it, Tommy. I finally did it. You can fly. Fly, sweet angel, fly. <laughs> I just helped you pass over. Yep, that's it. That's what did it. You've just been waiting. Waiting for a tribute. Brother, I got you. Oh, oh, the fucking... I just sealed the bridge. We finally built the bridge you can cross now. Sorry, Tommy. God, I'm the worst. Also, they misspelled my name in the first one. Casey Cater. Whatever. I don't need people to Google that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just be like, what concert? Did you really take advantage of the counseling? I services? did. Okay. I did. I, I needed it. Yeah. And it was included in my tuition and you know me i'm gonna get my bang for my buck i was just wondering if that, if that was real or <laughs> i did actually i went like twice yeah um and they were okay i mean at, at that <laughs> i mean that article makes it sound like they saved your fucking life so <laughs> leave it to yeah, the goddamn you're like, you're like i went twice and they were okay <laughs> it's a much different version than that article presents <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. To be fair, it was like, it got to the point where like me and Carrie were like, are we fucking crazy? Like we cry all the time. Yeah. We're, no one cares that Tommy's dead and we're just like crazy as shit. Yeah. Like what the fuck? So maybe this is a good time to read what Carrie wrote. Yeah. Okay. So Carrie was my best friend at the time and for reasons I'd rather not get into on a podcast, we are no longer close. Um, there's some ambiguous grief there. Um, and it is a very long story. It is another story where there is like 12,000 layers. <laughs> and I wish her the best. And I'm grateful that she wrote this beautiful thing for the podcast. So she said, I sometimes forget the profound impact Tommy's death had on me and all of us. It's not that I've forgotten the events of that fateful night or the crippling pain and loss that followed, but his death played such a significant role in shaping who I am that it's a permanent part of me. In many ways, his death symbolized the end of my childhood. And despite the fact that nearly 12 years have passed since he died, almost 13 this year, there are times when memories come flooding back, all at once and usually without warning. Maybe it's a song, a smell, or an old photo Facebook randomly resurfaces just resurfaces just to keep me on my toes. By the time Tommy died, I'd lost enough people to know grief. The way one phone call can send your heart plunging into the depths of your stomach, and the weird experience of oscillating between laughing and crying. Somehow both filled with the warmth of a thousand memories and also totally empty. 
but before Tommy, I'd never lost someone my age with whom I was that close, and I'd never lost someone so ingrained in my daily life. Emphasis on that. The process of grieving Tommy's death was, and still is, different than any other loss. Before his death, we were all wrapped in this cocoon of perfect golden friendship. Our little friend group loved each other deeply. That near-obsessive, all-consuming love you have for your friends when you're in the limbo between childhood and adulthood, and clinging to anything that makes life feel less scary. We jokingly called ourselves the Boo Crew, and like most groups of friends in college, we spent our days lounging on the quad between class, chugging cheap beers in dorm rooms, where bongs set atop chemistry books, dancing like fools in sticky floor bars, driving around aimlessly, and laughing until our stomachs hurt. We did everything as a pack. Laundry, grocery shopping, dinner at the dining hall. It was the first time any of us had been away from our parents for longer than summer camp, and we quickly became each other's family. By late September, we already had a notebook full of inside jokes. Literally, Casey and I wrote, wrote down everything, partially because we were still emotional teenage girls, and also because deep down, I think we both knew nothing so perfect would ever last. We all pined for each other over the holidays, returning back to the dorms and diving into sweeping hugs as as if we'd been apart for years. And when summer came, we vowed to call each other often and visit each other at least every couple weeks. Tommy made good on this promise, calling both me and Casey daily, (laughs) sometimes multiple times per day, and droning on and on about the new girl he was seeing, a sweet girl named Erin with whom I still keep in touch. I love you, Erin Platner. (laughs) One day he called me, and I was in the middle of something, for the life of me, I can't remember what, but I wish I knew then it would have been the last, it would have been our last conversation because I promised to call him back and I forgot. Two days later, he was gone. Tommy and Zach came to visit me at my parents' house once that summer, just two weeks before his death. Casey had been staying with me and the boys had driven up to surprise her for her birthday, but she'd left for the coast just a few hours before. Tommy, Zach, and I stayed up until 3 a.m. talking, laughing, drinking all my parents' Miller Lite, smoking too many cigarettes, and being 19. The next morning, Tommy wrapped me up in one of his infamous bear hugs, and then he was gone. I think of that hug often in the same way I remember hugging my grandfather for the last time when I was nine and standing outside the airport. It was something that happened countless times before, but it's always the last hug, goodbye, that leaves the most indelible memory. The night Tommy died was surreal. My friend Jenny and I were en route to a party when Zach called to let us know he'd been shot. Tommy is still alive, he said. It's Tommy. He'll make it through. We waited for the update in a Waffle House parking lot, and when the call came, I screamed. I dropped my phone on the concrete. My legs gave out. Someone lifted me into the car, and minutes later, I was in my parents' kitchen while my mom told Casey the news I couldn't speak. In the following days, the old crew came back together. There's so much to unpack about that time and I'm not sure I can do it justice. But the details of his death and everything that followed only served to underscore two facts. Tommy was gone, and so was our childhood. (sighs) I remember feeling guilty for grieving. His parents, his brothers, his extended family and friends he'd had for years. Their loss is far greater. But the thing about grief is, there's plenty to go around. Regardless, I still felt felt like a foolish kid. I wanted to do more for his family. I wanted to be stronger. I felt I was burdening his parents by being around when they needed space to grieve the loss for their son. 
it wasn't until later I realized sometimes death leaves too much space. Maybe it was better to fill that space with dozens of weeping, laughing, manic 19-year-olds for a night or two before (laughs) facing the gaping void Tommy left in their home. A few days after his death, Casey, Jitty, and I drove to the house Tommy was renting off campus. Ah, what is this gonna be? He had already moved some of his things into his bedroom. His TV was still on, his video game paused. Oh my god. I'll never forget that. That was a slap in the face. We walked in and like we were like, no. Like he's supposed to be right there. Yeah. The game is paused. Oh, God. Returning to school the following month was a Herculean task. The case of Tommy's death was still unfolding and we were still learning new details every day. My parents asked me if I wanted to take some time off, if I wanted to consider transferring to a different school. But Casey and I agreed, despite everything, we needed to go back. Deep down, we knew it was the last place we'd felt whole, and just maybe some of that magic still remained, hidden somewhere in that small college town. After helping us move into our apartment, my parents gave us long, tearful hugs. Looking back, I can only imagine their fear as they left that day. Only a month before, Tommy's mom and dad said goodbye as he packed his bags to return to school and days later endured every parent's worst nightmare. Casey and I tried desperately to be fun-loving college kids again. Some nights we succeeded, and some nights we vomited into the bushes and cried into each other's arms. We laughed about how we probably looked war hard, looked like war-hardened, disheveled messes to the new crop of bright-eyed freshmen. Freshmen, We were only sophomores, but we felt much, so much older. Once we were at a party, and we were being uncharacteristically antisocial, holding back tears and sharing a cigarette on the back patio, when an acquaintance saw us and whispered to another partygoer, those are Tommy's friends. <laughs> Suddenly we burst out in laughter. It was the kind of full body, illogical, therapeutic laughter that lasted far too long. People were staring, but we couldn't stop. We are, we howled. We're Tommy's friends. <laughs> Our new favorite pastime became trading imagined scenarios of what it meant to be Tommy's friends. <laughs> Rifling through the dumpsters, dumpsters behind the dining hall. Sobbing to each other in the middle of a bar dance floor, sleeping up on the stoop of the arts and science building wrapped in rags as the other as other students pointed and whispered, Those are Tommy's friends. <laughs> I realize this might sound awful to you, but we found it hysterical. Sometimes I think that post funeral dark humor is the universe's way of offering condolences for what it's taken away. Since Tommy's death, I've lost more people and I've learned grief never goes away. We just file it away in neatly labeled manila envelopes in our brains. Every once in a while, the whole file cabinet comes crashing down and you have to stop and sort the feelings back into their respective folders. After a while, the sorting becomes easier and more routine. I guess that's what people mean when they say learning to cope. Tommy's death impacted me in many ways, but one of the greatest gifts is the ability to relish the moment. And on those nights when everything is perfect, when I'm surrounded by people I love and feeling delirious with happiness, I take a moment of gratitude. Because things are fleeting, we aren't promised tomorrow, and in the words of Robert Frost and Ponyboy Curtis, nothing gold can stay. 
A huge thank you to Casey, Laura, and everyone involved in producing Funeral Stories for giving me the opportunity to share this story and to help keep Tommy's memory alive. So thank you, Carrie. Yes, thank you, Carrie. So um, I don't know, man. There's a lot. I know we'll talk about Tommy again, but um, so now, but now when you reference him, that's that, that's who you're talking and about. Like, I literally gave the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, just because the shit that came out afterwards, and yeah, not about Tommy, but just the shit afterwards. But that's about Tommy. I mean, you talked about Tommy. Yeah, that happened. The important things. Your relationship with him. You have any more questions? <laughs> no. I wonder. Yeah. I'll end. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, folks. No. That's all, folks. No, I just, it, this, like, I've had, I've had a lot of deaths um, in my life. Um, yeah. But this was the realist and the one where, like, I still, deeply miss him mm-hmm. and i'm sad he doesn't know layla and you know when your soul just knows someone mm-hmm. and you just relate to someone a soulmate a soulmate yeah he, he's one of my soulmates yeah. and and like i deeply love him and i'm glad i didn't say loved him because i still i very much love him and today when we were my mom brought this big tub of pictures for me and my sister to go through which is always fun because there was plenty of my dad in there yeah but uh (laughs) right on the top of one of the things in front of laura was a picture of tommy and she picked it up she's like oh and she set it right (laughs) back down like nope 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 because she knew we were recording this episode but i feel like that was just one of those things like yeah of all the pictures i have of tommy like those are all in my attic you know or like Mm -hmm. on myspace or facebook it was a framed photo yeah on top my mom didn't know what we were recording today like it just felt it was i saw it and i looked at it and and this is when she brought all the pictures up and she's had it for how long yeah yeah but it just for me it was kind of just like a smile like a yeah you'll get through this kiddo i got you yeah yeah so i don't know i wish i could talk to him again yeah that's, oh, I mean, that's the thing about right. That. Like, what you would give? Yeah, for just one what more would conversation. You give? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I remember here there was somebody talking about that. Like, how much of your life would you give to talk to that person who's already died? Like, would you give? Yeah. Like, if say you're living to old age and like whatever would you give up a day of your life would you give up a week of your life just to talk to that person like for an hour like how much of your how much of your life for how much time with them like i mean there's there's no right or wrong answer but it's just something interesting it's not not possible (laughs) but it is something interesting to contemplate you know Oh man i wonder like my mom's alive but like when she dies i'm gonna want to fucking talk to her every day <laughs> you know like, and you're just like can i just tack it on whenever like oh, i'll just give up another day it's so cool. a day for a day yeah can like, I, no it doesn't like <laughs> yes. i'm like no it doesn't work like that i like this is a real thing what the like fuck you Laura? started this business yeah <laughs> this that's is my idea i'm copywriting it just this is, i know right like i'm sorry dummy that's not so one lash is now off <laughs> I've now lost one U.S. lash, and I've lost two lashes. So. Yeah. Two lashes gone. It, it did pretty good, though. They held up for the most part. Yeah. Holy. I didn't Ooh. cry as much as I thought I would. 
Good. Are you impressed? Yeah. I think I did better this time. I don't really remember to it's compare okay. like how she much you cried. She pays so much attention. Do I? She pays such great attention <laughs> to my emotions. I just like, it's just crying. I mean, I don't know if it was more or less last time. Hold on. Let me, let me pull Laura real quick. <laughs> You definitely cried less than I did during the Clyde episode. Oh, do- uh-uh. Nora is still alive and right next to me looking at me. And I think your dogs pet. knew that you needed them. Right? Can we talk about that? They just, they've never come in here while we're recording and all of a sudden the door opens and then first off I was like, oh, fuck. And then I saw them. I was like, oh, okay, well, it's, it's just dogs. both of my dogs literally yeah. laying right next to me and now yeah. they are straight up trying to get in my lap. Yeah. <laughs> No, they knew. They I knew. Think so. I noticed that when they came in, and I was like, "Oh, babies!" Yeah, they knew. So they, oh, her breath stinks. <laughs> Poor Neely. I know she's a good girl, but yeah. no, I think that they did now. They did. They knew you needed. They came them. right in here. Oh, look at her! I got her spot. My dogs are the best. I love them. Yeah, but they knew I needed them, and they came in here, and they've never done that. No. So, but yeah, when these dogs go, they're much more well behaved than Layla, who busts up on us all the time. Mommy, I'm gonna paint my nails. <laughs> really, bitch? I got headphones on and I'm recording. Now? Okay. <laughs> Seth, what? I'm shitting. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I wonder sometimes, like, I don't think this is just like a little side note, not even side note, but I don't know. I don't think Tommy would have ever been like, yeah, this is a good guy. You should marry him. About anyone. Mm-hmm. So there is like a small part of me that's like, mm, maybe it's for the best that I think he would have liked Seth. Yeah. But I think the moment Seth made me mad or whatever, Tommy would have been like, fuck him. Yeah. That's it. So dead like, to week me. one. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, if, if, if Tommy had seen the way things started with me and Seth and he'd been like, nope, fuck it. Fuck that. Done. He's gone. He's dead to me. And that would have been that. But then, like, over time, you'd have been like, okay, fine. I like him. He's a good guy. Yeah. And they would have gotten along great. And, yeah. But, like, I, it meant a lot to me when the first time Seth and met Steve, Tommy's dad, it was at Zach and Liz's wet. That was the other thing. Zach, who was Tommy's best friend, had a crush on Liz, who was my sweet mate. And he would never, like, ask her out. Mm-hmm. After Tommy died, it was like this now or never thing. Use that energy. He used the energy. He asked Liz to go on a date, and now they're married with two kids. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. And when this, the when I recorded the first episode that never aired, they only had one kid. But now they have two kids, <laughs> and Liz is fucking awesome. But at Zach and Liz's wedding was the first time Seth and met Steve and Kathy. And Steve, <laughs> this picture of Steve and Seth and standing on the balcony with a fucking giant turkey leg, both of them just like munching like chowing down before food was even served they were just so hungry that they literally snuck a turkey where did you get a turkey leg no one else has food and then there's just like i remember them just hanging out by like the chocolate fountain i can totally see like someone suggest to seth and i you know you know the food's back there like what if we get some and seth and be like yeah let's go let's just do it yeah and steve and seth and like hit it off they were (laughs) immediately boys yeah like the best of friends and yeah kathy and steve approved of and john approved of seth john was a little weird about seth at first yeah and and galen carries 
husband but i think that was i just think that was as much as i love seth and i can't blame anyone for being a little weird about seth and yeah i need same with gary because people are just like does this fucker talk He just eye fucks me the whole time. <laughs> just like, I mean, I told you, Kel, my friend Kelsey was like, oh, I don't know about these people. He's kind of creepy. Feels a little rapey. <laughs> but really, he's just like so listening. intent on listening to you. And he, because he's what got, is that? No man listens. <laughs> it's like this foreign concept. He's, he's definitely trying to rape me. There's no way he's just listening. What is up with our culture? When a man actually listening to you makes you feel like... It throws some red flags. Yes. It, it's like a pink flag. Yes. Like, I don't know if I should surrender or if I should call the cops. And then also, like, it's like his eyes are just so green. They just, like, penetrate. Well, and there's not a lot of hair there. Up top. Okay. To, okay. So it's just eyeballs. It's <laughs> just <laughs> eyeballs and forehead. He's a, he's a hot man, though. You know that, right? I mean, I think my husband I'm is not, attractive, yes. Hey, edit this out. I'm not going to suck his dick when you die. But <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> no dick suck from Casey. I just, sorry, Laura. I wouldn't ask you to. So. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean what? I, asked, I might ask Seth to give him a hand job because apparently he's really good at it. <laughs> so he does. <laughs> right though. Oh, oh man. God. Not gonna happen, but three, two. Gary is very attractive. I've only said the thing because Layla is mortified of being bald. <laughs> like Gary. Some of the most attractive men in the world are bald. Yeah. The worst thing is when a man is balding and will not commit. And won't commit. No, 100%. So unattractive. Just let it go. You're not meant to have hair. Yeah. It's time to give up. Own the fact that you have so much testosterone that your body can't hold the hair onto it. Is that true? Yeah, it's men with more testosterone tend to lose their hair. <laughs> but the thing is, is Seth is so tall. You can't see you it. You can't see it. But when he is laying in bed or bending over, I'm like, <gasps> but no, I agree. That's like, I can't stand it when a guy is just trying to hold on to the like wisps. <laughs> Glory days. Yeah. Glory days have passed you. You're They're like, gone. Dude, you would be so much more attractive if you just buzzed. Yeah. That. Just straight shave it. Mm-hmm. Like get, go to a barber. Mm-hmm. When they say what what do you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. With oh god, the wisps right here at the widow's peak, <laughs> and nothing else. What is that? Yeah. There are actual humans in the world that have that. Yeah. Women, if your husband has that, just give him the confidence to commit. Yeah. No one finds it cute. <laughs> I mean, unless you do. I mean, yeah. If that's what you're into. Teach their own. Do you like to comb those wisps, girl? You comb (laughs) those wisps. It's all you. I like a man with a wisp. (laughs) What? Swipe right. He's wispy. (laughs) No. Anyway, Tommy's still dead. Yeah. 
and we're still talking. Why? <laughs> this is just what we do. Because guess what, guys? We're going to take these heads. We're going to, because it all ends in a funeral, take these headphones off and then for another 30 minutes talk and it's already 5 a.m. So yeah. thank you guys for listening. Yeah, this, this was this was difficult. This is how it's ending. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Goodbye. No, you have to say something. Okay. You have to. I wasn't sure if you wanted me to or not. I literally last episode after we wrapped, I said, "I know that." Oh, like, we do that. But this is a different kind of episode. You yes. talked about your dad dying, and then you still did it. Um, let me see here. Here, do you want me to? I had another. This is the thing. I like. Oh. I had one during it again. I forgot. It. I mean, if you have one in your head, so. Remember, nothing gold can stay because it all ends in a funeral. Bye, guys. Rest in peace, Thomas Dexter Canavan. Bye. Funeral Stories is produced by Seth and Molino, and music is by John Pope. Check out our website and blog by going to www.funeralstories.com. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Funeral Stories and on Instagram at Funeral underscore Stories. Donate to our cause on Patreon to unlock subscriber rewards. And please don't forget to send your funeral stories to funeralstoriespodcast at gmail.com or hello at funeralstories.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and listen on your preferred podcasting service. Thanks, guys. Bye.